Psychologist Abraham Maslow defines self-actualization to be self-fulfillment, namely the tendency for him, the individual, to become actualized in what he is potentially. This tendency might be phrased as the desire to become more and more what one is to become everything that one is capable of becoming. That's the definition. During Maslow's studies of psychology, he believed that few people would come to know what the best version of themselves could be. That's coming up on Mind Matters with Rita Schulte and Richard Beatty. It's a show we're calling Maslow Matters or When Maslow Met Paul. You cannot define yourself in reference to other external coordinates. You must define yourself internally with your relationship with a higher entity. Stop it! To what really matters. Join counselor and author Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty, in renewing your mind. Rita Schulte, your host of My Matters. Happy New Year, Rita. Come on in and join us. You got any resolutions yet that you brought? No, I do objectives. I don't do resolutions. You know, statistics show that by week two, most people have broken their New Year's resolutions already. What happens during week three? Well, they just they just kind of don't do them. And so kind of goes along with what we're going to be talking a little about today, self-actualization. You know, how do we how do we notice things and really stay on point with them to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be? But it is uh, very interesting. Uh, you know, I, I know that uh, Maslow had had said that it, during his time, uh, the only people that he knew that uh, actually uh, achieved self-actualization were Eleanor Roosevelt and uh, and Albert Einstein. Really? Yeah, which, know uh, you know, just because they had a, a certain confidence about themselves, but they were still humble enough uh, and just didn't seem to care really what other people thought about them. Uh, but uh, and isn't that kind of what self-actualization is? Yeah, I think self-actualization is, in, as far as psychology goes, is a concept regarding the process by which an individual reaches his or her full potential. And he wasn't the first person who coined it, but I think this idea of reaching our full potential is a great thing to be considering at the beginning of a new year. I, I We don't have to set a specific resolution, but we should all be striving to be uh, the best version of ourselves that we can be. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And didn't that come out of the hierarchy of needs? Yes, Abraham Maslow. He had a five-tier model of human needs, often depicted hierarchically as a pyramid. And so there were lower needs on the bottom of the pyramid, and they built up to uh, the idea of self-actualization. So the bottom of the hierarchy upwards, the needs are your physiological needs like food, uh, shelter, clothing, 
Then you have your safety needs, needs of security, freedom from harm, I call it. Uh, then love and belonging needs. So, you know, relationships, esteem. And then finally, if you achieved all that, you reached the point of the top of the pyramid, which was self-actualization. What we're going to do today is uh, we're going to compare that uh, to Romans 12, where uh, where Paul writes about being transformed. He writes about tra- being transformed a lot, uh, yet he uses it really only three times in his letters. Uh, in Philippians 3.21, Paul writes that the Lord, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be one glorious body. Our final scene in this epic we call life is a face-to-face meeting with Christ. The promise is that from that moment of receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are in communion in working out our salvation through worship and in a daily exercise of renewing our minds and hearts. Maslow claims that self-actualization had only been attained by a few people, like I said before. He said that—oh, he also added Gandhi, by the way, uh, uh, Rita, Eleanor Roosevelt, and Albert Einstein. Those were his prime examples. I think Gandhi was probably the the closest uh, one, if you if you judge by what what uh, what went on with the with those three people. Uh, Albert Einstein, you know, I I like Einstein. He's a great guy. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, she she uh, went through a lot. Uh, she's kind of, she's kind of like the Hillary Clinton of our uh, of of that time. Uh, now Maslow was the author of the Triangle Hierarchy of Human Needs, as we had talked about before. Uh, Rita, can you explain uh, a little more about what that concept is? Yeah, the lower needs down the hierarchy. So it's the basic physiological needs. They need to be satisfied before an individual can attend to higher needs. So I'm not going to be worried about uh, love and belonging or uh, some of the other needs if I'm starving to death or have no food or shelter. He believed the lower needs had to be satisfied before one could move up the pyramid. So the five-stage model can be divided into deficiency needs and growth needs. And so the first four levels are often referred to as deficiency needs and the top as the growth needs. And so for me, when I'm teaching needs, which I've written about, and I think all the books I've written, is I've just kind of zeroed it down to five core needs because I think they really speak to pretty much anything that, you know, relates to matters of the heart. And so how I explain it is love, right? We have this need for unconditional love and acceptance, and we have a need for acceptance, which means to know that I'm totally righteous and okay the way I am. Uh, value and worth, what gives me meaning and purpose in life. Security, so that would be the freedom from harm, physical harm, and emotional safety. So, you know, that's really important when we talk about relationships, right? And, you know, my partner, my marriage, I need to feel safe, emotionally safe, uh, to be able to have a good and loving relationship. And then needs for adequacy. So needs for adequacy would just kind of be like 
I know I can cut it in life. I'm adequate for the job. That's kind of like, um, you know, tolerance, you know, we're, we're supposed to tolerate each other, you know, and and, uh, and Jesus said, you know, you're supposed to love one another. <laughs> you know, so that through the process of renewing our minds and hearts on a regular basis and worshiping Jesus, that this is the system of transformation. So God, who meets all of our needs, also gives us the means of renewal of our minds and hearts and in fellowship through prayer and worship. How come more of us are not doing that? Well, we aren't doing it because we aren't devoting the time to it, first of all. I mean, this whole idea of busyness is literally killing our culture, our families, and our faith. That's number one. Number two, we aren't eternally minded. Most of us are worshiping the created thing. We're very busy uh, doing that. Whatever it is, our jobs, our family, our spouse, our children, our appearance, there's so many things that are vying for our attention. I mean, I think Maslow had it right. He just had the wrong source. Because like you said, God's the only one who can truly meet our needs when we turn to him to do it. The problem is we depend on ourselves, our own coping strategies, and we feel confident those work because for most of us, they they do work for a while. Otherwise, we wouldn't do them. It's only when those strategies stop working or when they become maladaptive that we hit a wall. So for example, I had a friend, Carl, and he was the uh, executive director of Grace Ministries where I worked for a number of years. And you know, his story is he struggled with an anxiety disorder. And so in order to manage the anxiety disorder, he started using drugs and alcohol. Well, that didn't work out too well because in the process of trying to manage it, which helped, he became addicted to drugs and alcohol. So then, you know, he had to figure out another coping strategy, which obviously he did coming to Christ and, you know, turning his life. But I think that's what happens to folks. As long as the strategy we're using is working, we keep doing it. and. The definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. So we've got to come to a conviction that the things that we're using to manage and cope with our pain oftentimes aren't where we should go. We need to go to the source, which is Christ, because if we have Christ's life, if we possess this Zoe life, then we have everything we need. Uh, it says that in Second Peter, his divine power has given us everything we need for life. Not a few things, not some things, but everything. So we have the tools in the toolbox through the word of God, uh, through developing um, some skill sets to uh, set our minds on the things of God, to meditate on the word. And those are the things that are eventually going to see us through. I mean, we have to work and nurture our relationship with God. You're not just going to wave a magic wand. Uh, it takes study. It takes meditation, contemplation, all of the things as Christians that we all feel like we're too busy to do. Well, yeah, no, and I, I really appreciate what you what you just said, because um, we, we talk about Maslow, just uh, his approach uh, and, and and maybe his his mindset, his worldview is different than uh, what a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview would be. It, it's amazing that he would be on the same scope as Paul is. And then when you look at it, you think about, uh, as, as you were talking about, the entire scientific process and realizing that that was invented by God. And uh, when, when, you, when you see that and when you realize that uh, the scientific process 
process could be creation. Uh, you know, we we see creation every day, and and that we face uh, the next day. We go through every day, and and the and the sun comes up every day too. It's evident through the epistles that while working out our salvation, uh, and what Paul is saying, the soul is being reduced by the process of renewing the mind and the heart to change our focus and guarding our desires to become hungry for more of what God desires for us. So that process is what we call the transformation process, and that is very scientific. So that's why I asked, why aren't more of us doing that? Well, I think the other thing that's important is you know, Maslow's whole hierarchy, and even though there's a lot of wisdom and truth in a lot of that, it's self-focused. It's humanistic ideology. It's it's self doing this. It's me managing it. It's me uh, doing all these things to get to this, you know, epitome, this pinnacle of the pyramid where I'm self-actualized instead of being God-focused, which, you know, scripture says, like, yeah, we're, we're transformed through the power of our mind. And so, Scripture says, as a man thinketh, so he is. What I what I dwell on, what I meditate on, is going to be what really changes me behaviorally. So again, you know, there's a lot of truth to what Maslow says, but it's really all about what we can do for ourselves. And that's trusting in self, not trusting in God. I mean, self-actualized people, um, you know, have a lot of good qualities that we would look at, um, you know, as as Christians. Um, they have, you know, experiences, they have a conscious sense of appreciation, uh, they accept others and self. And we do that right through righteousness and, and through Christ, right? We are made righteous and acceptable through Christ. You know, they can be very problem centered. They're, they're good at problem solving skills. They're independent. So there's a lot of good things about being self actualized. It's just, are we doing this, you know, in our own strength, or are we doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you talk a lot about uh, being uh, being self uh, motivated and to be uh, self observant, uh, being able to uh, to kind of log uh, those uh, those times that we are prone to toxic thinking and uh, those thoughts that uh, th- that we download. Uh, when when you look at self actualization, uh, that's that's really being self aware of uh, of those things and not and being more self controlled uh, to be able to say, hey, I've got to edit those thoughts out of my mind. How do I how do I do that? Yeah, I think for most of us, I mean, this is just so why I wrote the book Think This Not That is because I I believe if you know I had known about some of these thinking errors earlier in my life. I could have learned to cultivate more of a an inner awareness when I was doing something. I mean, we all do these things. You know, we catastrophize, we mind read, we overgeneralize, um, we kill ourselves with should, must, have tos, and oughts. We have negative self-defeating thinking. And we spend so much time on that, uh, ruminating and catastrophizing and magnifying our problems that we aren't actually solving them. We just sit and worry about all of this stuff. And I was talking to a client this morning about that. And it's it's got to start with noticing, uh, because if we don't notice it, we can't change it. And that's why setting our minds uh, from the word of God first thing in the morning is just a great practice. I mean, I know we we talk about New Year's resolutions and 
you know, we want to do this and we want to do that. And we're going to read the word more and we're going to study more. But why aren't we doing it? It's a great question. Why aren't we doing it? If we know it's going to shift our state, it's going to really, I mean, there's so much research out there about the brain and the whole idea of just meditation and how you can rewire your brain, change your uh, neurotransmitters uh, through doing these practices. And yet we don't take time to do them. So I guess, you know, everybody has to kind of answer that for themselves. Why, why am I not doing them? Because look, you know yourself, if something's a priority for you, you're going to make time for it. Let's face it. We, we, we all do. We do what's important to us, and and you do. Uh, it, it is busyness, and um, you know you're. It, it's interesting that you came up with this, uh, and you're and you're working on a book right now on loneliness, or you at least pitched that book uh, or that idea. Uh, and uh, we can be very very busy and lonely at the same times, can't we? Yeah, that's a big thing. So that's my new book pitch. I'm really you know tearing at my soul is this whole idea of the loneliness. Uh, pandemic that we've faced. And I mean, it's not a new thing. I think it's just gotten way worse uh, over the last few years. I mean, the Surgeon General actually uh, declared loneliness an epidemic problem in our country back in, I think it was 2017, 18. And we're just sliding down that vortex. Everybody is disconnected and lonely. And, you know, I think it's so important for folks to understand this whole concept uh, of core needs that we have, because needs are always going to drive our behavior. Take it to the bank. If you don't learn anything from listening to me rant on and on, whatever you believe, you're going to behave accordingly. And so, you know, when I'm going over this, you know, with my clients, I start with noticing, understanding, uh, explaining how needs drive our behavior and paying attention to what we do when we feel the loss of one of those five core needs. So, you know, I want to describe and personalize those needs as we go through them, you know, the five I mentioned earlier. And I want to ask my clients to pay attention to two things. First, what are they doing behaviorally to get one of these core needs met? And second, what do they do behaviorally when they feel a loss of a need? So, for example, my husband or my boss or somebody says something really insensitive and hurtful to me. And out of those five needs, love, value, worth, security, adequacy, and acceptance, what am I feeling a loss of in the moment when that's said to me? So maybe I feel like uh, a loss of security or safety in, in the relationship. Uh, maybe I feel a loss of value and worth. It doesn't have to just be one or two. It can be one or two, or it can be all of them. But that loss that I feel is going to drive my behavior, and I want to pay attention to what I do with that. For example, my husband blasts me, says something mean or insensitive, or scolds me about something. I find myself emotionally withdrawing from him. Or maybe I go eat a box of chocolates. In my mind, that keeps me safe. The withdrawing and eating the candy. The candy gives me comfort and it tastes good. But in the end, what is the cost of withdrawing? It skirts the issue. The candy certainly isn't a true comfort. You know, I'm going to gain weight if I keep doing that. But I've got to figure out what I'm doing behaviorally and what's the 
because see, I, I, I withdraw because that makes me feel safe. But in the end, am I really safe? No, I'm disconnected from my spouse. And instead of facing it, talking about it and working through it, I'm taking the path of least resistance, which is emotionally withdrawal. And so I've got to ask myself, is that a strategy that I want to keep maintaining? Just like my friend Carl, he had to ask himself, is using alcohol or drugs what I want to do? Or do I want to learn to face my fear and conquer my anxiety through the power of the Holy Spirit and through getting some new tools in the toolbox? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it does make sense. Uh, you're listening to Mind Matters. We're talking about psychological concepts like self-actualization and the hierarchy of needs and they're related concepts to renewal and transformation. And that's what we're trying to make that that correlation. We don't do this enough. Uh, Rita and I uh, uh, have uh, great guests on this show. And uh, I think that every once in a while, we should just uh, we, we should just kind of roll this back and not get so busy with uh, uh, with with somebody's book release or uh, all of those kind of things, which are very good and they're very useful. But these are very useful too. And so, um, Rita, I want to close this uh, this edition by uh, talking about how uh, Maslow seems to have been onto something that was close to Paul's spiritual concepts. Mm-hmm. Has the church made this correlation? Well, I think with the church, psychology's gotten a really bad rap. And that's because many of these theories were rooted in secular humanism. So most churches, I think, threw the baby out with the bathwater. I was just talking to uh, my friend, Patty Joe, and you know, Patty, and she's doing a course at her church that's supposed to set folks up to, you know, do some lay counseling. And it's all like biblio counseling, which is great. But, you know, she was telling me they're really against cognitive behavioral therapy. And I mean, you can Christianize this stuff. Cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the most robust treatment strategies. And and the reason I love it is because it all focuses on beliefs, right? Lie-based thinking that we want to challenge. And that's so biblical, right? That is so biblical. So we have to be careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's so much good and there's so much truth. We just have to present it in a God-honoring platform. Uh, take the truth and put it a Christian emphasis on it. So I can use counseling principles and put that in a strong biblical context. So it's not an either or. I think it's an and both. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to leave it at that today, Rita. But uh, there are a lot of people listening who want to find out how to work out their salvation, their mind and heart matters, and how to get involved in healthy fellowship. We've developed a page uh, on RitaSchulte.com, that's S-C-H-U-L-T-E, where you can find good counsel, books, audio publications, uh, and subscribe. Uh, You can subscribe to our media ministries and music ministry. So, uh, Rita, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, you can certainly find plenty of helps on on my website, RitaSchulte.com. You can listen to the radio show there. You can find other uh, podcasts. When I did several years ago, I did Heartline. A lot of great guests, a lot of wise people giving very uh, godly uh, biblical counseling, a lot of blog articles, a lot of helps there. And we also have the show on Charisma Media Podcast Network and all the local places like Spotify and Apple. Turn in. 
Yes, and uh, when we come back, we'll be talking a little bit more about uh, some of those uh, other resources. I want to talk uh, to you, uh, Rita, a little bit about uh, this this new wave, and I think it happened during COVID, of uh, online counseling, uh, you know, some pitfalls and uh, also maybe some uh, things that are advantageous to people. But uh, we we need to go right now. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, to Mind Matters. I'm Richard Beatty, and for Rita Schulte, have a great week. Deception, denial. We hear it, we think it, and we find ourselves in a toxic pool of negative thinking. Everybody out of the pool. Deceptive thoughts take root in the mind, and you've got to change the physical nature of where the brain goes and redirect your thoughts to good. How? By noticing, paying attention. It all starts in your mind. You can buy index cards and write down positive thoughts. Focus on what is good, beautiful, and worthy, and think on these things, not on those things. The brain has a system of checks and balances and reorganizes on what you think. When you name the deceptive thought, you can eliminate it by replacing it in your card file by a better thought. So if I think that I'm not good enough or smart enough to be in the job I'm in, then think of a time you creatively contributed to someone's life. Write it down. That integrates right and left brain. Think of a time you creatively contributed to someone's life. And each time you think that you're not worthy, write down the truth about why you were born for such a time as this. Think this. Not that. A renewable resource from Mind Matters. Go to RitaSchulte.com.